Let's continue. يَسْأَلُونَكَ عَنِ الْخَمْرِ وَالْمَيْسِرِ They ask you about al-khamr and al-maysir. About wine and gambling. Who asked the Prophet ﷺ? The companions. Notice how يَسْأَلُونَكَ is coming again and again. What does it show? That the Sahaba, they asked questions from the Prophet ﷺ. But you don't find every other verse in the Qur'an, يَسْأَلُونَكَ There are only a few times that this يَسْأَلُونَكَ is mentioned. What does that show? That the Sahaba, they asked questions, but not too many. They were eager to learn, which is why they would listen attentively. They'd be very careful about whatever the Prophet ﷺ instructed them. But if there was something that they were unsure of, then they would ask the Prophet ﷺ. Or they wanted to know what to do or what not to do, if something was permissible or not, then they would ask the Prophet ﷺ. And why would they ask? When is it that you ask a question? When something is really bothering you. Right? Otherwise, yes, we come across scenarios when you're wondering, is this okay or not? You're like, oh, forget it, doesn't matter. But if something's really bothering you, for example, fasting in the month of Shawwal, okay? One person's attitude could be, you know what, I have so many fasts to make, and I don't know whether you can fast your voluntary fasts before making up your obligatory fast, so forget it, I just give up. But there is another person that's like, no, I want the reward of fasting for the entire year. And I need to know how I can fast in the month of Shawwal. So what will they do? What will they do? They will ask. Right? So what does it show? That a person is eager to do something. Or something is really bothering him. So he wants to know, is it okay or not? Is it allowed or not? It shows the sincerity of a person. Because when a person has iman in his heart, then it's as though he has come to life. And when a person has come to life, when a person is awake, he is alive, then he feels things. He becomes sensitive. Then if he's poked, he gets hurt. Right? His senses come alive. So likewise, with iman, a person wonders, Is it okay to do this action? Is it okay to buy this? Is it okay to engage in such a transaction? He wants to know. Because he wants to make sure that whatever he is doing is acceptable to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the sahaba, they asked the Prophet ﷺ about intoxicants and gambling. That are they allowed or not? These two things, wine and gambling, were very common in the Arabian society. And it's not just the Arabian society where it was very common. It's common till today in many, many places across the world. But the Sahaba, they wanted to know, is it okay or not? Is it allowed or not? What is Al-Khamr? Khamr is from the root letters Khamim Ra. And Khamr is primarily used for grape juice okay, that has fermented. And when it has fermented, it means if you drink it, then you'll get intoxicated. But it doesn't just apply to fermented grape juice, but it also applies to anything that has a similar effect, meaning anything that intoxicates a person. It could be drugs that a person is taking through a needle, or he is 
taking them through his mouth. It could be smelling something continuously so that it intoxicates his mind. It could be inhaling something through a cigarette or through a pipe or whatever. Okay? It could be drinking something. So anything that intoxicates a person. But why is it called khamr? What does khamr mean in the Arabic language? Khamr, mukhamara, is to cover something, to veil something. To cover something, to veil something. And we see that this is exactly what khamr does, what intoxicants do. What do they do? They cover the mind of a person. They veil the intellect of a person. So, He's not sleeping, he is awake, but he's not in his senses anymore. He's trying to walk straight, but he's not able to. He thinks he's walking straight, but he doesn't even know he is walking somewhere else. This is why when they test drivers, that if they're intoxicated or not, what do they do? They make them walk or they do different tests and people fail when they're intoxicated, right? Because it shows that they're not in control of all of their senses. Their intellect has been covered by something. They are intoxicated. Likewise, when a person is intoxicated, he is saying things that he should not be saying. He is screaming, or he is singing, or he is babbling, or he is doing extremely obnoxious things, and he doesn't even realize. So, this is the effect of khamr, that it covers the intellect of a person. The scholars have said that كُلُّ مَا أَسْكَرَ عَلَى وَجْهِ اللَّذَّةِ فَهُوَ الْخَمْرِ That anything that intoxicates the mind of a person, but why did he take it? Why did he ingest it? Why did he put it into his body? To gain pleasure. To gain pleasure. For the purpose of pleasure. That is الْخَمْرِ Because if you think about it, a person could have been given anesthesia because of some surgery, all right? And as they're regaining their consciousness, it's possible that they're looking and they're closing their eyes and they're talking and halfway through they stop, they doze off again, right? But that's not haram. Okay, anesthesia is not haram because person might say, oh, that also covers your intellect, so don't take it, it's haram. No, it's not. Okay? This is what is taken for the purpose of pleasure. Ladha. Alright? Because it could also be that some medication. Right? Medication, if you have it, it causes your a particular part of the body to go numb so you don't feel the pain. Right? That also happens. There are medications like that. So don't say that this is an intoxicant. No. It is taken for the purpose of pleasure. And like I mentioned to you earlier, it is not just wine, alcohol, but it includes... All other things, it could be cigarettes, it could be, I'm not talking about common cigarettes, even those, many scholars say that it's haram, but in particular drugs, right? Inhaling or ingesting, orally taking, all of this comes under khamr. So they asked about al-khamr. Wal-maysir, and also al-maysir. What is maysir? Gambling. Gambling. What is Gambling. A game of chance. What happens in that game? What happens in the game? You put your uh, well where you have to stake and just take the risk of 
Okay, so for example, you put your wealth, your assets, your money, anything of value, you bet or you play a game and if you win, then you will take your money and the money of another person, right? Or if they win, then they will take your money and everybody else's money and you went with a thousand dollars but you come out with seven thousand or you come out with zero, right? This is what? Gambling. Gambling is the pledging of money or something of material value. I got this off the internet. So if you search, you'll find it as well. So don't tell me to talk slowly so that you can write every word. Okay, you can research it yourself as well. But listen, focus, understand. Write it down as well if you can. But if you're not able to, then don't get worried about that. Gambling is the pledging of money or something of material value on an event with an uncertain outcome. Uncertain outcome. With the primary intent of winning additional money or material goods. So basically it's a game. You don't know what the outcome could be. It could be in your favor. It could be in favor of another. But you are pledging your money or something of material value. Why? So that you can gain more. Your intention is to get more. Why is it called maysir? Maysir is from the root letters yasin ra, from the word yusr. What is yusr? Easy. So maysir is a game through which you can get money very easily. People become millionaires, billionaires after playing just one game. Or they lose money very easily as well. They spend so much time and effort in making money and they went and played a game of whatever at a casino and those thousands of dollars that they took with them, gone. You can win easily, you can lose easily. It also means to distribute, to divide. Yasir is one who distributes. Okay? One who distributes, one who divides. So the mushrikeen, what they would do is that they would bring in, let's say, camel meat or animals, like camels and horses or whatever. And then they would have a game. You can say like, you know, we have dice today, right? So they used sticks, arrows. Okay? They would have a game as well. Whoever won, took all the camels, or took all the camel meat. And whoever lost, lost everything. Okay? So there are different versions of this game that are all across the world today, and also in the past in various societies. Can you think of some examples that are prevalent today? How Maisir is played? In what form? The common lotto. Lottery tickets. That a person buys a ticket for a dollar, for two dollars, for three dollars. Okay? And he is risking that money, or fifteen dollars even, sometimes $30, sometimes $100. He's risking that money in getting more out. But you don't know what the result could be. It could be in your favor, it could be in the favor of other people. But you know what? These lottery tickets, they are also known as the idiot tax. Have you heard about that? They call it the idiot tax. That if you're playing lottery, then you're an idiot. You deserve to waste that money. You know why? Because the chances of winning through lottery are as rare as getting hit by lightning. In fact, there are more chances that you will be hit by lightning than you will win a lottery ticket. 
And some say even twice. Some lotteries are such that you could get hit by lightning twice instead of winning a lottery or something like that. You know, somebody I know at their workplace, people collectively buy these lottery tickets. Okay, every month or every week or something like that. And they keep telling them that, look, you're wasting your money. You're wasting your money. You're not going to win. You're not going to win. It's been years and years that all those people in that office are buying lottery tickets together, but till today they haven't won even once. And this person, he did the math for them once. That, you know, until today you've bought these many tickets, okay, 50 or whatever, or 50 or more, like 100 or 200, and you know how much money you've spent? He calculated it for them, it was thousands of dollars that they had spent collectively. You have spent all this money collectively in purchasing lottery tickets. What did you get out of it? Nothing. Yes? It's a form of addiction. You know, sometimes I'm shocked to see people, they will go to a convenience store or at a grocery store even and they will buy the lottery ticket and they will hold it and they will go to the side or they will sit at a table and they will take a coin or a key out and they will try to read those numbers. They're so focused into it, so hopeful that they will make money somehow or the other. If they spent that money in something else, probably Allah would barakah in their rizq. Even Muslims do the same thing. I'm not talking about non-Muslims. Even Muslims do that. Any other forms of maysir that are prevalent today? Other forms of gambling? Poker. So these games that are played at casinos, and not just casinos, but also online, right? That people will pay for it, or they will pledge a certain amount of money, right? And they will spend a lot of money, their card games, their slot machines. Thousands of dollars are spent in this. Other forms of gambling that are prevalent today? Yes? Horse races, yeah, because they bet over that, right? That if so-and-so wins in this much time, right? Or this one comes second within this much time, then, you know, I bet this much money. So sports, right? Sports. I'm not just talking about horse races, but even football and soccer and what do you call it, baseball and all of these games. There's so much gambling involved in that. People will even bet over this much time will be taken for singing the national anthem. Yeah? That if it takes one minute and these many seconds, you know, I bet this much money. So if it does, then they actually win. And if it doesn't, then they lose. A chance to buy this for a chance to win such and such. What are you doing? Buying. Spending money, pledging your money so that you can get something. People justify it saying that, oh, we're supporting a charity, we're supporting a hospital, we're supporting a good cause, so it doesn't matter. No, it does matter. It definitely matters. I mean, you can even give a hundred dollars, a thousand dollars in donation and you will get your tax receipt, right? From the government. And that's okay for you. But participating in a program like this, this is not permissible because it involves gambling. In our religion, there is no concept of easy money. You get money through hard work, okay, through working, through service, through effort, 
or through inheritance or through gifts that are given to you. But you don't get money just by playing a game and becoming a millionaire in a day, in a moment. Because this spreads many evils in the society as we will discuss inshallah. So yes, alunaka anil khamri wal maysin. They ask you about intoxicants and gambling. Allah says, قُلْ say, فِيهِمَا إِثْمٌ كَبِيرٌ In these two, in both of them, there is إِثْمٌ kabir, A major sin, a great sin. Meaning, indulging in these two is something serious. It makes a person sinful. It makes a person guilty. And notice, إِثْمٌ kabir. What does that mean? That these two are not halal. They are not permissible. What are they? They are haram. Because some people argue that for intoxicants, the word haram has not been used in the Qur'an. So it's okay. You can drink. Because the word haram has not been used. What does Allah say over here? قُلْ فِيهِمَا إِثْمٌ كَبِيرٌ Tell me, if something is إِثْمٌ كَبِيرٌ, a major sin, would that be allowed? It would not be allowed. And if you don't believe that, then in the Qur'an we learn that قُلْ إِنَّمَا حَرَّمَ رَبِّيَ الْفَوَاحِشَ مَا ظَهَرَ مِنْهَا وَمَا بَطَنْ وَالْإِثْمَ That say my Lord has forbidden such and such and also sin. This is mentioned in Surah Al-A'raf, Ayah 33. So committing sins is forbidden. If indulging in intoxicants and gambling is a sin, that means it is forbidden. Even though the word forbidden may not be used in the Qur'an, but it has been used in the Hadith very clearly. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He is very just. He says, وَمَنَافِعُ لِلنَّاسِ In these two, there are also some benefits for people. People be like, what? Something haram, how could it have anything of benefit? It can have. وَمَنَافِعُ Manafir is a plural of مَنْفَعَةِ From the root letters, نُونْ فَاعِينَ نَفَعَةِ To benefit. Manafir benefits. So there are many benefits in these two. Can you think of some benefits? We'll discuss khamr first. What are the benefits of khamr? Yes. Okay, so for example, red wine or drinking a little bit of wine moderately may be good for your health. Okay. But obviously overconsumption is very detrimental. But modern science may have proved that it's actually good for your health. Okay. Benefits are there. Agreed. Yes. It is a disinfectant, right? There are benefits. Alcohol, there is rubbing alcohol. I mean, if you work in a laboratory ever, if you work with some dangerous things or harmful chemicals, you have to clean your hands with rubbing alcohol afterwards, right? If you get injured, if you got a cut, then you have to clean yourself with that because it's a disinfectant. So yes, it is not clean, it is not halal, but there are some benefits in it. Yes? It's used to make fragrances, okay. It's used to make medication even. Right? Alcohol is used for many things. But what about the taste? You know when you are looking at all these recipes and they say, marinated in this wine for this long, right? Or deglaze the pan with this wine. And you're like, yes, I'm using a substitute, right? I'm using grape juice, but you know that it's not the same as the original recipe, right? It's not going to produce the same result. Flavor, right? Some people may enjoy the feeling of being intoxicated. This is why they drink. They say it takes all my worries away. It relaxes me. Or they will drink so that they don't even feel it's very cold. Right? And they will continue to wear their normal clothing even when it's snowing. Right? To warm up their bodies. 
So, yes, there are many benefits in alcohol, in intoxicants. Even in drugs, there may be benefits. I'm not talking about medication drugs, but other drugs, like bad drugs. Okay? Like, through smuggling, people may make a lot of money. Right? Through selling a little bit of, or making, growing a little bit of marijuana, or opium, or whatever, they could make a lot of money. Okay, manafir are there, benefits are there. What about maisir? What about gambling? What benefits are there in it? Like it was mentioned earlier, that people say, you buy this ticket, you spend this much money, and you may have the chance to win these many thousands of dollars. You're supporting a charity, you're supporting a hospital. Okay, there may be benefits. Any other benefits? The person who owns the casino, he's just growing and growing in his money, in his wealth, in his assets, because so many people are coming to play. Yes? Thrill, entertainment, quick, easy money. So there are benefits. But what does Allah say? What is muhuma? But the sin of these two is akbaru min nafrihima. It is greater than the benefit of these two. The sin outweighs the benefit. The disadvantages outweigh the advantages. The harm outweighs the benefit. And when that is the case, then you're not going to indulge in that. Many things, many things that people do, that people indulge in, they have benefits and they also have disadvantages. It can cause you benefit, it can also cause you harm, loss. Right? So what should you do? You should always compare the pros and the cons, the advantages and the disadvantages, the benefit and the loss. Always compare the two. What is greater? Whatever is greater, go for that. Go for that. How is the sin of these two greater than the benefit? How? That no matter what benefit, what worldly benefit you can gain through these two things, the fact is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has forbidden it. And when Allah has forbidden it, no matter how much you benefit from it in this world, in the hereafter you will suffer. So the harm, the disadvantage, outweighs the benefit. Likewise we see that people may feel that if they are drinking a little bit, moderately, it benefits their body, it keeps them healthy, it keeps them warm, whatever, controls their blood pressure. But can it lead to addiction? Can it? Yes, very easily. So we see that where people are benefiting from these two things, they are also suffering a lot because of these two things. And the suffering is much more. When a person is at a party, he has a good time drinking, having fun, and then he is intoxicated, but he has to drive back home and he can't wait any longer. And he's driving back home, he doesn't realize he hits somebody and they end up on a wheelchair for the rest of their life the other person, or they die. Doesn't it happen? Doesn't it happen? It happens all the time. So the harm is greater than the benefit. Can your partying, the pleasure that you had, can it ever justify that another person suffered because of you? Another person lost their life because of you? And a family was ruined? It can never justify 
that for example if there is a woman who's expecting and she takes drugs or she drinks a lot then what's going to happen it's going to affect her child it's going to affect the baby in the womb so many people even say that the health benefits of wine they're not actually true this is just a misconception that is common amongst people so allahu a'lam allah knows so the sin the harm outweighs the benefit right so wa ithmuhuma akbaru min naf'ihima and this is the reason why allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says this is not allowed this is something that's not permissible for us a person may feel that if they own a restaurant and they start serving alcohol there they might make more money right it happens with many people i remember a friend of mine her father he had a very famous a very good restaurant it was running very very well and he was being pressurized to serve alcohol there as well and if he did that yes he could have made more money very easily but he made that decision he said no i'm not going to i'm not going to because the more money that i could get that will ruin my religion it will corrupt my religion so he did not go for that because the harm was greater than the benefit wa ithmuhuma akbaru min naf'ihima also we see that people who win for example a lottery and they become millionaires in just one day they get this huge check they're on the television on the news and everybody's looking at them with hasra i wish i was in their place ask them 10 years later 20 years later do you have any regret in your life what will they say taking that money because it destroyed us we know many famous stories right you've heard of them people who became millionaires within days and it corrupted them it destroyed them if the doctor said that this medication is good for you it is going to suit your body but you know that it's haram it has alcohol in it then again the harm will outweigh the benefit the doctor might say that this is good for you it might be scientifically proven but you know what at the end of the day it's haram and who's a shafi not the medication but who allah subhanahu wa ta'ala only he can give shifa so if you're using wrong means to get that shifa it's quite possible allah will not give it to you and if allah does give you just as a test for you right so ithmuhuma akbaru min naf'ihima there is a question that was just asked right now and that was about playing monopoly is that like maisir is that gambling or playing a simple game of cards you're not betting or let's say poker you're not betting nothing you just have those chips okay you're not winning anything not even candy not even chocolate not even lunch nothing at all you're not winning you're not losing it's just a game that is that okay yes it is okay why because you are not winning or losing anything what is gambling gambling is that you are pledging some money okay you don't know what the outcome could be and you intend to make more but when you're playing a normal game then there's no big deal i mean there's nothing to win nothing to gain nothing to lose but there is a problem with such things as well in the quran we learn that through maisir shaitan puts adawah and baghda amongst people hatred and enmity 
Isn't it true? That people who gamble, right? Especially on a table, they're playing poker with all their money, like stacks of money. Could be that two friends walk in, but as they leave, they're miles apart now. They're not friends anymore. Because one person lost and the other won. Same thing. If you're playing Monopoly or you're playing another game excessively all the time, right? then what will happen? You will start disliking your friend or your brother. Like Every time they buy that expensive hotel. Which one is that? The Park Lane one? right? In Monopoly, I don't even remember. So anyway, you're like, every time they get it. And then uh, they're so happy when you go to jail, right? <laughs> they're so happy when you have to give a fine or when you have to pay rent or whatever. They're so happy at your loss. So it's going to create enmity between the two of you, hatred between the two of you. Love and friendship will turn to enmity and hatred. So I'm not saying that never play Monopoly again, never play any game again. Because any game you play, there's going to be some winners and there are going to be other losers. This is a part of life. But if you engage in these things excessively, then that will become problematic. I remember once upon a time we got those Uno cards. Right? And we played and we played. And my mother came, she took those cards away. And we never saw them again after that. And I'm so grateful because we spent so much time, hours and hours playing them. And we were not allowed to play that afterwards. Many times it happens. The children, siblings, not even children, even adults, they're playing and by the end you see they're fighting with each other, physically fighting. Right? Taking out their rage and their frustration and their anger. Yes. Yeah, she's mentioning about that game pyramid that people would play secretly because it was illegal that some people would be at the bottom of the pyramid and others would be at the top. And there would be friends, siblings, relatives, spouses that would walk into that. Some would be at the bottom and others would be at the top and it would cause great rifts between people. So yes, this is true. We see this, we witness in this in daily life. This is why Allah says that the sin is greater than the benefit. Likewise, when a person is intoxicated, he's doing things wrong. He is harming other people. He's harming himself. He's missing his salah. He cannot remember Allah. Then how can it be justified? Again, if you are playing a game in which you are spending something, you are giving some money or something of material value, and at the end, one or more individuals could win all of that, and you lose then that is gambling, whatever shape or form it takes. Now, I know there are many things okay, under this topic, but don't worry, inshallah, this topic will come two more times again in the Qur'an. Okay, So let's keep some discussion for that time as well. وَيَسْأَلُونَكَ And they ask you, مَاذَا يُنْفِقُونَ What should they spend? Look at the Sahaba. They're not asking about how can we make quick, easy money. How can we take the wealth of other people as well? They're asking, what should we spend? How much? Where should we spend? What does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? قُلِ الْعَفْوَ Say الْعَفْوَ That which is extra. That which you can give easily. عَفْوَ From the root letters عَيْن فَاوَاو means forgiveness, pardon. But it doesn't just mean forgiveness, it also means kathra or fadl. Surplus, favor, extra, meaning that which you have as surplus, right? Beyond your need. 
Alright? And afu also means that which is easy and convenient, meaning what you can give easily, you can spare easily. If you give away, it's not going to cause you any damage. You don't have to suffer because of that. So Allah says, spend that which is al-afu. Spend that which is extra with you. Spend that which you can easily give, easily afford to give. When do people buy lottery tickets? When they have extra money. Right? They will say, okay, I have these $5. I can afford to buy a $10 ticket. I can afford to pull into a ticket that is worth $50 or $100. They have extra money. They want to spend it on khamr and maysir. What does Allah say? Spend it on who? Those who are needy. Because khamr and maysir make a person selfish. Isn't it? A person is concerned about his desires, his pleasure, his wealth. He wants to increase in his own money. He doesn't care about others. But spending on the other hand makes a person care about who? Other people. You have extra $10? Instead of buying a lottery ticket, go feed a hungry person. Go clothe a naked person. Go sponsor a student. Go help somebody in need. So the Sahaba, وَيَسْأَلُونَكَ مَاذَا يُنْفِقُونَ قُلِ الْعَفُوَ Say that which is extra. They were concerned about spending. And if you notice, this is mentioned in the same verse. Isn't it? Khamr and Maisir and spending are both mentioned in the same verse because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to do hijrah from Khamr and Maisir to what? Spending on others. Once there was a group of people who came to visit the Prophet ﷺ in Medina. And it was a particular tribe. They were desert dwellers and they were extremely poor. When they came, they had their clothes. It revealed their poverty. The way their animals were, the way their things were, all of that revealed their poverty. Their physically weak bodies, it showed that they were in need. So the Prophet ﷺ, he got on top of the animal, of his camel, look at all people in order to address them. And he said, whoever has an extra such and such, then he should give that away. Whoever has an extra such and such, then he should give that away. Whoever has a spare, this he should give that away. And the Sahaba, they said that the Prophet ﷺ listed so many things that we felt that we're not allowed to keep anything extra. We're not allowed to keep anything spare. You know how like we have 10 hijabs, right? If we lose one, or if we have to give one away, does it affect us? Can we survive on the 9 hijabs that we have? Can we? Easily. And if we need it again, can we go purchase it the next day, or a week later, or at the next conference? Can we? Very easily. But there are other people who desperately need that. For them, it will be the only one. We have extra food, extra money, extra books, extra stationery that is just sitting and rotting away while other people may be in need. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to start caring about other people. قُلِ الْعَفُوا Whatever extra you have, Give it away. And if all people started doing that, whatever extra they have, they give it away, believe me, nobody would be poor today. No one would be needy today.
Does it ever happen that you have to go to a wedding or a party and you look through your wardrobe and you're like, I don't think I have anything that's suitable for this event. Let me see if my friend can lend me a pair of clothes. And you go to her, she's like, yeah, yeah, sure, no problem. I just came back from so-and-so place, so-and-so country with all these new clothes. So come and borrow whatever you want. So she can easily lend one to you, not a problem for her. Right? What does it mean? That we can also easily give one thing away, not a problem for us. We go to a store and we buy so many favorite creams or fragrances, right? So many things without even thinking, without even any difficulty. But there are other people who are not concerned about buying cream or lotion or fragrance. They're concerned about buying food or paying for their fees so that they can have an education. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to worry about others. Not be selfish, but be concerned about others. وَيَسْأَلُونَكَ مَاذَا يُنْفِقُونَ قُلِ الْعَفْوَ Say that which is extra. In Sahih Muslim we learn that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, O son of Adam, it is better for you to spend what is in excess of your needs. What is excess that you have, if you spend it, it's much better for you. And worse for you to keep it. If you keep it, that's much worse for you. You know why? Why do you think so? You have all this extra stuff, extra clothes. What happens after some time? You feel as though you are buried in your stuff. You feel as though you can't find what you need because there are so many things. And then you say, we need to spring clean. We need to de-junk. Whereas before shopping, before buying more things, if we thought of giving some things away, or instead of buying more and spending that money on the needs of others, it would have been much better. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that if you spend what is in excess of your needs, it is much better for you. And if you keep it, what is excess, what is extra, it is worse for you. Because either it's going to make your life difficult, or you're going to end up wasting it, which is going to be a cause of sin for you. Right? Like we buy so much food at the grocery store. And as we're walking out, there's a huge bin for food bank. We could easily put some food over there, but we don't. What do we do? We bring it home, we let it sit and rot, and then we throw it in the garbage. If we keep extra with ourselves, selfishly, greedily, it's worse for us. That we're wasting our money in this world, we're not benefiting from it. And secondly, we're also accumulating sins by wasting things. But if we spend it, that's much better. Because when you spend something in the way of Allah, it is as though you are saving it for yourself. For when? For the hereafter. And then the hadith continues that you will not be blamed for keeping enough to cover your needs. If you have to keep something for yourself because you need that thing, then there's no harm. You're not blameworthy for that. Begin with your immediate dependence. Meaning start spending on who? Those who are closer to you. So you just came back from Staples and you have all these pens and pencils, you know, ready for school. And your sister didn't get to go and she's looking at your highlighter or at that very funky file that you have. So what should you do at that time? What should you do? Give one thing at least. Share one thing at least. There's no harm. Begin with who? 
those who are closest to you. Because we think about, you know, sponsoring orphans in whatever country. And we're like, oh, I can't do it, so too bad. No, start with those who are closest to you. Spend on them. The upper hand is better than the lower hand. The hadith ends with this, that the upper hand is better than the lower hand. So be the upper hand, meaning give, spend. Spend that which is extra. And Allah will honor you. كَذَلِكَ يُبَيِّنُ اللَّهُ لَكُمُ الْآيَاتِ Thus does Allah clarify to you the verses, لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَفَكَّرُونَ So that you can all ponder, you all think, you all reflect. And you may decide what is best for you, what is worse for you. You make the correct decisions for yourself. فِي الدُّنْيَا وَالْآخِرَةِ In this world and in the hereafter. Meaning that you reflect over the matters of this world and you also reflect over the matters of the hereafter. You see what is good for you in this dunya, you see what is good for you in the hereafter, and then you make the decisions accordingly. So when you're spending, think, is this going to benefit me now? Is it going to benefit me in the hereafter? And make the right choices. وَيَسْأَلُونَكَ عَنِ الْيَتَامَى And they ask you about the orphans. Who are the orphans? Those who are of the weakest members of society. Those who are in most need of love and care. Not that you become selfish when dealing with them, but very giving and generous when dealing with them. So the Sahaba, they asked about the yatama. Because the orphans, remember, they lived in the houses of their guardians. These days we have this concept of orphanages. Back in the day there were no orphanages. This is why in our religion there's so much reward for having an orphan in your own house. That he's living with you. But obviously if the orphan comes and lives with you in your house, then what comes along with him? What comes along with him? His property. Whatever he has inherited. Right? It could be a little bit, it could be a lot. So whatever he has brought with himself. Let's say the person said, okay, you know, we'll pay for his these expenses with his money and we'll cover the rest of the costs. Okay? What happened at that time was that the orphans, when they would live with a family, when they would bring their money with them, many times their guardians would take all of their money and not give them anything. And when the orphan would grow up, he would have nothing with himself. Even if their guardian was their own uncle or their own distant relative. So many times they would do this. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed an ayah in the Qur'an, which is mentioned in Surah An-Nisa, ayah 10, that those people who consume the wealth of the orphans unjustly, they are not consuming anything but fire. وَسَيَصْلَوْنَ سَعِيرًا And they will burn in the hellfire. That consuming the wealth of an orphan, this is a crime. This is like taking a share of the hellfire for yourself. So then the people became very careful. They said, no, we're not going to touch the orphan's money at all. So for example, they could not afford to keep the orphan. So what would they do? They would take from the orphan's money to buy his clothes, to get his food even. So you can imagine, in the same household, in the same kitchen, two meals are being prepared. One for the rest of the family and one for the orphan. Because you don't want to eat from the orphan's money. But you don't have enough to feed the orphan either. Okay? It's possible. And this shows that it wasn't just the wealthy people who kept the orphans. Even those who had limited resources. Even they kept the orphans. And this is completely permissible. But 
you can imagine that if food is being prepared for only one person, how much can they eat? Especially a child, how much can they eat? How much? Children usually leave some of their food. And who eats it? Who eats it generally? The mother. But if it's the orphan's food, the mother is not there, let's say, the father is obviously not there, the siblings are not there, it's the orphan's food only. The guardian cannot eat it. His children, his wife, nobody can eat it. That food, eventually what's going to happen to it? It's going to go bad. Right? It's going to be thrown away. So, this is something that became common then. The people said, no, we cannot use the orphan's money at all. We cannot use it. So this way, A, things became very difficult. Very, very difficult. You know people who manage different accounts? It's very difficult for them. You can't keep track of what goes where and what belongs to which one. It gets very complicated. So it became very difficult and it also led to waste. Not just a food. Food is just an example that I'm giving you. Okay, of, of other things as well. So the people asked that, to what extent are we allowed to touch the orphan's property? So, yatama, Allah says, قُلْ إِصْلَاحُ لَهُمْ خَيْرٍ Say that reformation for them is better. Meaning, if ever you do touch the money of the orphan, you should be concerned about the islah of the of that money. What is islah? Reformation. Improvement. To fix something. So let's say the orphan's money is there. You say it's sitting there by the time he's an adult, this money is not going to have much value. Or this child, his father was a farmer, he had these many cows or these many goats, and if the orphan, he can't manage them, I can't manage them because I'm a businessman. Let me say, for example, if I want to sell it and invest that money, so that by the time the orphan grows up, he has more money, is that okay? That's okay. Because islah, you are concerned about the improvement. Improvement. So, قُلْ إِصْلَاحُ لَهُمْ خَيْرٍ وَإِن تُخَالِطُوهُمْ And if you mix your affairs with them, تُخَالِطُ from the root letters خَالِ خَلْط to mix. Because you're living in the same house, you're eating at the same table. So if you slightly mix your affairs with them, so for example, their food is there, your food is there, and you take a little bit of their food, they take a little bit of your food. Is that okay? Yes, it's okay. وَإِن تُخَالِطُوهُمْ Allah says, فَإِخْوَانُكُمْ Then they're like your brothers. Ikhwan is the plural of akh. This is just like your brother, if you go to his house, then do you not eat easily? Yes, you can. You go to your sister's house, you go to your parents' house, you go to your children's house, you go to your relative's house, your uncle's, your aunt's house. Do you take permission every time you fill a glass of water? You don't. So likewise, when they are living with you, then they are like your brothers. So you will deal with their property just like you deal with the property of your own brothers. But remember, Wallahu ya'lamu and Allah knows al-mufsid min al-muslih. Mufsid is who? One who does fasad. One who causes corruption. And muslih is one who does islah. One who fixes things. So Allah knows your intention. Do you want to corrupt, destroy, consume the wealth of the orphan and you're just pretending to mix your affairs? Or do you really want good for the wealth of the orphan? Allah knows your intention. Because إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ بِالنِّيَّاتِ 
وَلَوْ شَاءَ اللَّهِ And if Allah wanted, لَأَعْنَتَكُمْ Surely He could have caused difficulty for you. إِنَّ اللَّهَ عَزِيزٌ حَكِيمٌ Indeed Allah is mighty and wise. لَأَعْنَتَكُمْ From the rule letters, عَيْنُونْتَ عَنَتَ is to be in distress. It is basically when a bone that was previously broken and mended breaks again. So you can imagine how much distress a person would be in, how much difficulty he would be in. So if Allah wanted, He could have caused this to be very difficult for you. That no, you cannot mix your affairs with the wealth of the orphan at all. You cannot touch it. You cannot do anything to it. Then you would be in a lot of difficulty. But it is the mercy of Allah that Allah has created this ease for you. What do you think the connection is between this verse and the previous? Because also if you notice this verse is connected. That fit dunya wal could have been mentioned at the end of the previous verse. But it begins... In this verse, why? What's the connection? Yes. Yes. Again, spending that which is extra and taking care of the orphans. You see, there's two characters, right? One is a person who is selfish and the other is a person who is not selfish. He's in fact caring for others. The person who is selfish, he will think, oh, the orphan is living in my house. I have to charge him, I have to take this money and he's pretending to help the orphan but he's in fact eating up all of the wealth. The same person indulging in gambling, intoxicants and the other is giving, generous. Allah wants us to be who? Generous. And the person who will stay away from khamr and maysir, then he will also stay away from harming the property of the orphan. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us all generous people and not selfish. سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك نشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت نستغفرك ونتوب إليك السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته